Who here is a student? All right, that's great. So, guys, when you saw that 5,000 5, for the World Conference, was there fear in your hearts? Let's be honest, it's a family moment. Let's talk this out as family. Let's figure this out together. <coughs> so, I remember when I went to the World Conference in 2016, so that was the last time the World Conference was in South Africa. Um, so, it does a, a, a rotation between South Africa, America, and Manila. Um, so the next time the World Conference is going to be in South Africa is like in nine years' time, right? So you don't want to miss out on this. But besides that, um, I was part of the student committee, and um, in 2016, then we were like, okay, guys, uh, we are broke, right? Um, we don't have the money, um, naturally, because you're a student. Um, but then we took it upon ourselves. We were like, if God is who he says he is, let us step out in faith and not only raise money for ourselves to go as the student committee because there was four of us, but let us raise for others to go as well. And then between the four of us, we were able to pay for ourselves to go to the World Conference and we were able to raise an extra 40,000 Rand to go to the World Conference so that other students can also benefit, right? So that was just four of us where we, we, we took that decision and we're like, let's do this. Let's trust God. Um, and God showed up in a very powerful way. And, the, and then our theme for the year is miracles. And so if we want to see miracles, we have to put ourselves in positions for miracles to happen. When you look throughout scripture, when you look throughout the Bible, no miracle happens where there is no need for a miracle. And so if you don't sign up, if you don't step out in faith, guess what? You won't see a miracle. But if you step out in faith and you say, Lord, I don't know where this money is going to come from, but I'm going to step up by faith and, and I'm not going to go to the conference, you're going to see God move in miraculous ways. And also we have the amazing Barnard. Can you stand up so the people could saw you? Um, so he is going to also be leading our, our, our fundraising efforts as well. Uh, he's got a lot of fantastic ideas. So don't feel like if you sign up, there's no plan for you. Sign up. We are going to raise this money together as a family. Um, and let's get as many students there as possible. Uh, even the accommodation we organize is going to house every single student from every nation in Southern Africa. So you're going to, it's not just students from Tux who are going to be there, students from Vits, UJ, um, UKZN, students from Limpopo, students from Mozambique as well will be joining us there, students from Eswatini, so students from all over the nation. Grahamstown is also going to be joining us there. So you do not want to miss out on this. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Um, Yes, amen, amen. Um, and then for the young adults, do sign up, do join a uh, community. You know, Al-Khad said something in the morning service um, and he said, if you are sitting here and you have a passion for air fryers, and I was just sitting there and I was like, I don't know when it happened. One day you are young and wild, and then the next you're just passionate about air fryers. <laughs> it's just, it, it just happens. And so if you have a passion for air fryers, um, if you know, he made a reference to mix it. If you know what mix it is, it is for you to sign up and join part of the, the young adults ministry. 
Um, so yes, sign up. It's going to be an amazing time as young adults, just getting to know one another and being family. Um, and not just seeing each other on a Sunday, but actually being able to do life together in the week. Uh, amen? Amen. So could you please turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 3. Uh, we are going to be reading from verses 16 to 21. So Ezekiel chapter 3, that is in the Old Testament. Um, do not be scared to go to your table of contents to find where it is. Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 16 to 21. So it's not me. I saw you guys judging me. This guy is not strong. Ah, <laughs> oh, come on, Estian. Thank you. So we are going to be continuing our sermon series on our values, right? And this week's value is evangelism. Um, and so one of the things about values is that values is how we make our decisions in life. Um, it is how we decide where to have coffee, uh, where to work, where to live, which university we want to study at, um, the people that we associate ourselves with. All of these decisions that we make in our lives are value-driven. And so we're going to be looking at this text um, around the value of evangelism that's going to shape how we also make our decisions and, and, and the, the people we hang around with, the places that we go, etc., etc., etc. So, um, could you please stand as we read the word together? So, uh, the text says the following, And at the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die... And you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life. That wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die for his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. Again, if a righteous person turns from his righteous and commits injustice, and I lay a stumbling block before him. He shall die because you have not warned him. He shall die for his sin, and his righteous deeds that he has done shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the righteous person not to sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning, and you will have delivered your soul. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are good. We thank you that you are faithful. We thank you that you are holy and that you are God. We thank you that you are seated on the throne and that you are in control of each and every single thing. Father, thank you that you have entrusted us to be your vehicle for your gospel, to share the good news of what it is that you have done. Father, I ask this evening that you would speak to your children through me. Holy Spirit, I surrender whatever thoughts, whatever ideas, and may your presence come dwell richly in this place this evening. Speak through me as I surrender to your will and I surrender to your authority. Name which is I pray. Amen. So, 
uh, I remember as a student, um, I had a roommate. I desperately don't want to share the story, um, but I have to. So uh, my roommate was as lost as they come. And so we, uh, <laughs> uh, we, I was the Christian, he was not. And I remember this one specific incident. Um, we were sitting, um, a girl came over, um, and we were having a good time. People were just talking, nothing weird was going on, no smoking, none of that. Anyway, um, and then a f uh, an argument just starts, right? And then in the midst of this argument, this guy attacks the girl, physically attacks the girl. Um, and, you know, because of just my history with abuse uh, and what I've seen in my family, in that moment, I froze. Um, because I'm like, I've seen so much of this. I, I, genuinely, I froze. Um, and I did not know what to do in that moment. Uh, and then they're just wrestling and they're tugging it out. And then eventually, I come out of my unfrozen state. And I intervene in that situation. And this is the context of the scripture, is that... Ezekiel is a prophet. He's, he's ordained by God to be a media, to stand in the gap for the people of Israel. So God gives him a specific message that he has to deliver to the nation of Israel, right? And so the, the nation of Israel are also going through a, a weird and a, and a tense time. Some people in the nation are, are rebellious uh, against God. Um, and some people are, are obeying God, right? So the story will make sense. Hold, hold on there with me. All right, so this, the text starts with the following. And at the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me. Jesus is the word. We do not have to wait seven days for the word of the Lord to come to us because the word of the Lord has already come to us. In John chapter 1, uh, verses 1 to 2 and verse 14, it says the following. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And so this text affirms that Jesus is the word. He has come and he has dwelt amongst us. Jesus is not the word that we are still waiting for to come. The word has already come to us. God has already spoken to us as his people. In Hebrews 1, it says, In the old days, the Lord spoke to us through the law and the prophets, but today he speaks to us through his son, and his son is Jesus. So the word has already come to us. The word is Jesus. The word is God. The word has authority. The word has power to set people free. The word has power to turn people from, from the path of darkness to the path of light. The word has power to speak into whatever situation that you are facing. The word has power and we need not wait for the word to come because the word has already come. The word is Jesus. And then in the next verse, it says the following. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. So now we are sitting here. We do not know what a watchman is because obviously we aren't in biblical times. But in biblical times, a watchman was, um, so in the city, the city had walls around them. Um, it was a very common feature. Um, if you've ever watched uh, like a 
Lord of the Rings, for instance, uh, you see that in those cities, they had walls around them. And then there were specific people who were appointed to stand on the wall and watch over the city and watch what's happening outside of the walls of the city. And the purpose of that was to see if any attack of the enemy was coming or to see if anyone who has good news would come as well so that they would be aware what is happening outside the city and what is happening inside the city as well. So that's what a watchman is. And so in the word it says, I have made you a watchman. My wife and I have the honor and, and privilege that we have made little people. And so the unfortunate thing about having made little people is that we cannot unmake them. They are there, it's done, it's sealed, it's settled. And we, the only thing that we can do is whether we make a decision to say, are we going to be good parents or bad parents to these little people? <coughs> but the little people are made. We can't unmake them. Right? Um, it's like when you make a decision, when, you, when you're driving down the road and you make a left turn, it's late, and you wanted to make a right turn, it's late already because you've already made the turn. It's the same thing here as that you are made a watchman. There is nothing you can do to change that because you are already a watchman. And the choice is yours is whether you're going to be a good watchman or a bad watchman. It's either you're going to obey God as a watchman or you're going to disobey God as a watchman. But here are some three things that we see about watchmen. So the first one, watchmen are set apart. Set apart meaning that they don't take part in the affairs of the city because they have been set aside for a specific task to serve the city, to serve the nation of Israel so the nation of Israel will be protected because they are the first line of defense because they get to see uh, an, an attack that's coming from the enemy. If the watchmen aren't watching on the walls, then an, an enemy attacks. They are going to be the first ones who are going to be held accountable to that because it was their job. They were set apart for a specific purpose. But what the, another thing that we also know about being set apart is that that's the term for being holy. So as a watchman, God is calling us to be holy, to be set apart, to not live lives as everyone in the city does, but to live lives that honor and glorify the one who has made us watchmen. We have two choices. It's either we are going to be set apart and holy or we aren't. But God has set us apart for his service. The second one is that watchmen are positioned on the walls or elevated places meaning that they get to have an aerial view of what's happening in the city. When you are sta if you stand outside of this venue, you will not see the entire city because it is not possible from the ground to see the city. But through prayer, the Lord reveals things to us that are happening in the city without us having to be in that specific place. Uh, my, my daughter is, was born premature, and the pediatrician advised that uh, she not go to preschool until she was two years old. And so the first nanny we hired... My wife and I were panicking because we're leaving this little precious baby um, in the hands of someone who we do not know. Um, and then at some point, you know, I remembered, oh, yes, I'm a Christian. Um, and so <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian and I have God. Uh, therefore, God is going to be the one who is watching over our child. And so I told my wife, I'm like, babe, don't worry, don't stress. We're not leaving our child in the hands of a nanny, but we're leaving our child in the hands of God, right? So every time we leave, let us pray and let's trust God to be the one to protect our child. 
And as we were praying, um, the Lord revealed to my wife um, that my, the, 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 the lady who was watching our child uh, used to go to a Sangoma frequently whenever she goes home on the weekends. Um, she visits Sangoma, um, does her things there, and we were like, Oof, yeah, we don't want our child <laughs> to be in that mess. And so we acted accordingly because we spend time praying. Uh, and because of prayer, the Lord revealed something that was happening in our home when we went around that we weren't aware of. Imagine what the Lord will reveal about your workplace. Imagine what the Lord will reveal about the university campus if we pray for the places where the Lord has placed us. There is so much that God wants to reveal, but if we aren't spending time praying, we won't know what is happening and we won't be able to act accordingly. That's the first thing of a watchman is to be aware of the things that are happening so that the city can respond and act accordingly. How many things do you think have happened in history where the church was not praying and life happened and then we had to play catch up as the church? But we have the opportunity through being watchmen to be at the forefront of what God is doing in South Africa, to be at the forefront of what God is doing in Tswane, to be at the forefront of what God is doing at your workplace, to be at the forefront of what God is doing on your university campus, simply because we pray for where God has placed us. And the third thing is that the task was to warn people of any danger or news they have observed. The warning is that people are perishing. Physically, they're not perishing, but their souls are perishing, that there's going to become a final judgment at the end of time. And we need to prepare people for this judgment. And we need to share the good news of what Jesus has done to save them from that judgment. But then if you are a watchman, there can be an opposite as well, where you just watch men, right? So there's this uh, phenomenon I think that we enjoy as people, it's people watching, right? We watch people, we see them, it's like, oh, this guy, funny walk. Um, we, see, we see like, oh, these pants, too short. Um, maybe if they're, you know, you start, start to put yourself in the issues like, yeah, maybe if they were up to here, that would look better. If the shirt was pink or blue, that would look better. That is something that is common to all men. It is not holy. It's not something that is set apart, but it is common. So when we watch men and watch people, it is something that is common. It is something that you do not need to be set aside for. It is something where you do not need to be appointing. It is something that God is not calling us to do, to just watch people. That evening when I was frozen, watching my roommates have a, a tussle with this girl, I was just watching. Not only was there a, a, a physical battle happening in front of me, but there was a spiritual battle happening in my roommate's soul. And I just stood there and I watched. The second thing about just watching men is that we regard people according to the flesh. So when we look at people, we see their wealth, we see their race, we see their, their, their background, and we make judgments based off of that. We don't see them the same way that God sees them. God does not see people the way we see them. God does not judge people according to their acts. And a lot of times we look at people, um, people who drink, people who smoke, and we're like, oh, you won't see heaven. We make the judgments in our hearts because we're doing something that is very common. We look at them and we're like, I would never do such and such a thing simply because we are 
doing what is common. We're not doing what is holy. We're not seeing the condition of their hearts. We're not able to warn them of what is happening in their soul and what God can do to set them free. In that moment, as I was watching my roommate fight that girl, all I did was just judge the situation. I watched. I was not a watchman in that area, but I was just watching people. And then the text goes on and it says, If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Because God has placed us as watchmen, God will hold us accountable to the people who do not hear the gospel. Just last night, not way back when, last night, uh, my wife and I had uh, her cousin come over. Um, and the first thing he did as he came into our house was like, hey, I love alcohol. I drink. Um, I do this daily. It's my daily bread. Um, that's how much he says he loves alcohol. And I suspect he does drive under the influence from time to time. He even says sometimes he doesn't even sleep at home. That's just how much he loves alcohol. We'll go out uh, on a Friday night, come back Saturday afternoon just for the love of alcohol. And in that moment, all I did was just watch him. I did not pause and look at the condition of his heart. I did not pause and even pray silently in my heart and ask the Lord, Lord, what can I say to him that will reveal to him your great love, that will reveal to him your great mercy? Because in that moment, I did not stand in agreement with the identity that I am a watchman, but I stood in agreement with what the world does, that I will watch men. And I just watched him. Last year, we had an intern and staff come to a staff meeting and share that there's a guy he, was, he had about five coffees with, just met up with him consistently for coffee. Um, and then at some, uh, when he wanted to meet with him for his sixth coffee, he found out that the guy passed away in a motorcycle accident. And as he was sharing the testimony, the one regret he had was that at no point did he share the gospel with that guy. And he, had, he was standing here in front of the staff saying, I don't know whether he's in heaven or in hell. Because I did not share the gospel at any point. In all the conversations that we had, we spoke about anything and everything. And I don't know what his eternal destiny is because I did not share the gospel with him. So there's a guilt we experience in those moments when we don't step out in faith and, and stand in agreement with the identity that God has given us. And when we stand in agreement with the, with the identity that the world has given us, that guilt is on us. And when those people don't go to heaven, or and, 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 I mean, when they get to God at the end of their lives, and God asks them about them not being a Christian, and they, they, their excuse says, no one shared the gospel with me, God is going to hold you accountable. Because in that moment, you didn't share the gospel with him. And that was a very sobering thought for me, that how many conversations do I have with people? Great conversations. Meet a bunch of random people um, each and every single week. We have amazing conversations about anything and everything. Family, um, work, Cyril's economy. We just have conversations and conversations. But when I leave some of those conversations, I don't know what those people's destiny is. And the Lord will hold me accountable. 
that opportunity I missed last night, the Lord will hold me accountable because I didn't share the gospel. I had an opportunity to warn that guy about the condition in his soul and how there is a God who can set him free from that. And I didn't do it. But it says, if he warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die for his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. One of the things that I love doing when I'm evangelizing um, is that I get to a point in the conversation where I, I call people, will you surrender your life to God? But I also give them this disclaimer, because I have to do this disclaimer, is that if you are saying no in this conversation, you're not saying no to me, but you are saying no to God. Because the, the biggest reason why we are scared to evangelize is that, but what if they reject me? They're not rejecting you, they're rejecting Jesus. And I like to make people aware of that so that I can also remember that I'm not being rejected, but God is the one who's being rejected. And I always tell them, if lightning hits you now, boom, boom, jet, lightning. And you stand before God, I want you to be aware that the reason why you will go to hell in that moment is, is because of this conversation when you said no. That's the only reason why. It's because I shared the gospel and you said no to God. And if you find yourself in hell, remember this conversation, right? No, because you have to let people be aware of the decision that they are making. Our decisions have consequences. When, even when they decide to follow God and say, yes, I surrender and I give my life to God, you have to let them know that you can't continue living the life the way you used to. You have to surrender to Jesus as Lord, meaning that he is master. He has final say. He has control and authority over your life. The life that you lived after this moment, after you saying yes to God, you can't live that life anymore. Because we have to let people be aware of the consequences. So whether they say yes or no, that does not matter. Because you were faithful to live out your identity as a watchman. You were faithful to do what God has called you to do. And even when you get to heaven one day, God will not hold you accountable for that person. Because you shared the truth with that person. You shared the good news about Jesus. And it is their decision whether they get saved or not. We can't force people into salvation. But we have a responsibility to share. Going back, I shared the gospel with that roommate <coughs> some weeks later. And after I shared the gospel, he gave his life to the Lord. And for me, that was really like such a, a, a moment that came full circle where I got to see someone who the condition of his heart was so bad that he was willing to lay hands on a girl to a point where God restored and redeemed him. And he went back to that girl and he actually repented and apologized for what he had done simply because of the condition of his heart. So it's not always doom and gloom. We don't always miss out on opportunities to share the gospel, but there are moments where we do share the gospel. And so in the next passage, it says the following. Um, verse 20. Again, if a righteous person turns from his righteousness and commits injustice, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because you have not warned him, he shall die for his sin and his righteous deeds that he has done shall not be remembered, but his blood will require at your hand. But if you warn the righteous person not to sin and he does not sin, he surely 
He shall surely live because he took warning and you will have delivered your soul. The gospel isn't only for the wicked, but it's for you and I sitting here. I have been Christian for about 10 years or so. Um, and in my journey, the people who I've started with aren't Christian anymore. They've walked away from the faith. In our relationship, I also had the responsibility to continually declare and preach the gospel to them. They also had a responsibility to preach the gospel to me. The reason why I would call people to be part of a connect group, to form part of a spiritual family, is so that you can continually hear the gospel. The gospel isn't just for entrance into a relationship with God, but we need the gospel each and every single day. And as a family, let's preach the gospel to one another so we can persevere and continue following the Lord. When we don't preach the gospel to believers because we take it for granted that they are saved and they fall away from the faith, the Lord will still hold us accountable for those people because we had the opportunity to share the gospel with them, but we did not share the gospel. That's how important the gospel is. That's how much the Lord values people that he has placed us as his plan A. I've searched scripture. There is no plan B, unfortunately. The plan A for God, the plan A to see this world restored and redeemed is myself. It is you. It is all of us sitting in this venue. That is God's plan A. But let us be aware of what is expected of us. That God values people so much that he entrusted people to reach people. He can do it himself. But he wants us to be a part of what he is doing in the world. And today, as it is Pentecost Sunday, let us be reminded that we cannot fulfill this mission in our own strength. Yes, we are God's plan A, but God has empowered us by pouring out his Holy Spirit in us to fulfill this mission. We see Peter, after receiving the, 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 the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, at, at, at the end of the Gospels, Peter re, uh, What's the English word? Sorry, my English data bundles are starting to run out. <laughs> we see Peter deny Jesus three times. They asked him, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? Weren't you with Jesus? And three times he denied Jesus. But when he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he stood boldly in front of people and he proclaimed that he was one of Jesus' disciples. He boldly proclaimed the gospel and he saw 3,000 people getting saved daily. Because of that boldness, we see through that that this mission is not something that we can do in our own strength. We can do it and try as we might, but we will, we will succeed, we will fail, and we will not succeed. But with the help and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we will be able to live out what God is calling us to do. So even in your relationships on a day-to-day -day basis, we need the Holy Spirit to empower us to share the gospel. We need to make time each and every single morning to receive from the Holy Spirit so that we can proclaim the gospel. One of the elders this morning shared a very powerful image. He said that he saw us as a church beneath this waterfall and we're all holding buckets. And these buckets are getting filled with water. And the land around us is dry. There is no life. But as soon as we receive the water, we go out and we start pouring this water in the land. And the land starts bearing this vegetation that grows. Fruit starts to come. Life starts to come. And we continually go back. 
to the waterfall. Let me get water. And then we go back and we're continually pouring water. And he said, that's a powerful image of what the Holy Spirit is calling us to do. Is that if we want to see life in our city, if we want to see life in your workplace, if we want to see life, the life of God uh, and the university campus, we need the Holy Spirit because we cannot do this in our own strength. So, how do we know who the wicked are? So, there's two things. The wicked are guilty of hostility towards God or his people, and the wicked are guilty of sin. It is so easy, again, to just watch people and base, I mean, and make a decision according to the flesh and say, you are wicked, but that's not it. We see that wickedness is a condition of the heart, not of external appearances. So a wicked person looks like the classmate who's sitting next to you. A wicked person uh, is, 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 could be your boss, could be the HR manager. A wicked person is someone who is guilty of sin before a holy and a just God. And here's the thing about sin, is that sin requires punishment. It's the same way when we disobeyed our parents growing up. When we disrespected them, we got a beating. My parents beat because I was disobedient. But here's the good news for the wicked. Here's the good news for those who are guilty of sin. The good news is that God became man in Jesus Christ. He lived the life that we should have lived and died the death that we deserve to die in our place. And three days later, he rose from the grave, proving that he is the son of God and offering the gift of salvation and forgiveness of sins to those who choose to repent and believe. The gospel is good news because no, not, none of us here are able to live a perfect life. The law of God requires complete obedience. In James 2 verse 10, it says the following. If you break one aspect of the law, you are guilty for all of the law. So let's do a quick test. A quick test. Uh, in the New Testament, when Jesus is asked about the, 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 the commandments, he steps it up a notch. He says this to them. You have heard it being said, you shall not commit adultery. So I was scared to ask this question in the morning service because there's a lot of married people. Um, I don't want to expose people. But who here has committed adultery? Hallelujah. The holy church. Right? But then Jesus steps it up one notch and he says, if you look at a woman with lustful intent, it is as good as committing adultery. So who here has looked at that person with lust? I'll start. I'll start. <laughs> awesome, right? All of us. And then he goes in again and he says, you've heard it be said, being said, you shall not commit murder. Who here has committed murder? Nothing, sorry. <laughs> right? None of us. I'm a bit suspect now, but none of us have committed murder. But then Jesus steps it up a nod and he said, and he says, if you are angry at your brother, it is the same as committing murder in your heart. Who here has been angry at someone? Right? So, already, of the ten commandments, those are two that we have broken, all of us here. But James 2.10 2, 2, says, if you break one commandment, you are guilty of breaking the entirety of the law. But Jesus came and he fulfilled the law. 
He did not even look at a person with lust. At no point was he ever angry with people. Even when Jesus was being killed on the cross, his first response was, Father, forgive them for they know, they know not what they are doing. I don't know about you, man. If they hit me with one whip, just once, I'm already, I've lost it. I am angry. I'm like, God, smite them with your thunder. But that's simply because of just the sinful nature in my heart. But Jesus lived perfectly. And he died the death that we deserve to die. Because we are guilty of breaking the entirety of the law, we are subject to God's wrath. God's wrath is God's righteous anger. Because he's a holy and a perfect judge, whenever he looks at sin, he is just disgusted by it. And he wants to deal with it. But Jesus is the one who took that punishment for us. So we don't have to go through that punishment of sin. But because Jesus has already paid the price. He's already paid. In the Old Testament, it required you uh, to have a, a spotted, I mean, a lamb without spots or without any blemish to pay for your sins. And so if that system still continued today, all of us here would be sitting with a lamb because we need to pay for the sins from the previous week. But Jesus is the one who paid for our sins. And that payment is sufficient that we need not make any payments afterwards. And he rose from the dead after being killed. One of the things we've seen that we all know and that has affected us all is just the fragility of life. That when someone who we love uh, and someone who is dear to our hearts dies, one thing we do wish is that we wish they would rise from the dead. But they never will rise because they don't have the power to defeat death. But Jesus has the power to defeat death and he defeated it and he proved that because he defeated death, he is the son of God. And because of that, because of him living perfectly, because of him taking the punishment for our sins, because of him defeating death, we have an opportunity to repent and believe in him. To repent means I was heading in this direction. I was living life according to my own way, but now I change and I live for God. And I live a life that is pleasing towards God. It's to change my mind about the life that I live and start to come into agreement with the life to which God has called me to. It is for those who choose to repent, to change their minds. It's those who choose to believe in what Jesus has done. That is what God is calling us to be as watchmen, to proclaim this gospel, to proclaim this good news to people. Let us not leave people in their sin. Let us not leave people without an opportunity to respond to this good news. The warning is the good news. And so, on our chairs, there's this card that you all have hopefully received. <coughs> and so on these cards, this is between you and the Lord, you have an opportunity now to step into agreement with the identity that you are a watchman over your friends, over your family, over your workplace, over your campus, over your neighborhood, over your res. You are a watchman. But the choice is yours as to whether you will obey God or disobey God. And if you need a pen, the hosting team is around, so you can put your hands up if you need a pen. 
And I want to encourage you to stand in agreement with who God is calling you to be and write down six names of people that you want to pray for, that you want to share the gospel with. Not only that, but there's an, also a space for us to write down two nations that we can be praying for. And for number one, I encourage you guys to write down South Africa because this is the city where God has placed us in. I mean, the city, the nation that God has placed us in. The, the text says, I have made you a watchman over Israel. God has made us watchmen over South Africa. God has made us watchmen over Tuani. So let us pray for our nation. And then the second nation is ask God what nation he wants you to pray for as well. And then let us write it down. I was having a conversation with Linda before the service. And as we close, I want to share this thought with you guys. Who here, uh, growing up, their parents asked them, hey, when you get back from school, take the chicken out of the deep freezer so it can defrost and I can cook it when I come home. And then you didn't take it out. And then as you were sitting, watching TV, playing PlayStation, or doing whatever it is that you were doing, then you see their car drive in and you're like, oh. And then you quickly run. <laughs> and you take the chicken out. But then it is frozen. I still remember my mother's disappointment. It's like, you, just, you had one job. It was just one job and you could not fulfill it. I'd like to imagine that when God has given us this one job to be watchmen over the nations, when he returns, what will he find us doing? Will he find us busy with our own agenda? us busy with his agenda when he returns will he say to us well done my good and faithful servant simply because we were faithful with who he said we are and what he has called us to do amen amen